you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by the Ford F-Series. DJ Bucky here. And, uh, Buck, we got a huge episode coming up today. we got a lot of NFL to get to, a couple Monday night games to recap um, and then some other big-ticket items in the NFL. Then we're going to go heavy college, going to preview this upcoming slate of games, which is, is a pretty good slate, and we're going to have a, a special guest join us today. Yeah, it should be an exciting episode, and I'm really excited because coming off the heels of that Sunday episode, uh, it feels good to just always be engaged in the football conversation. We talked about the NFL on Sunday night, and then we can talk about college with a little mix of NFL. Then we got the previews and all the other stuff later in the week. Uh, I think it's a good time. And I, I mentioned this very special guest. How about uh, somebody that's uh, won a national championship at the collegiate level, Ooh. a coach? There's only a couple of them now that are still coaching college football. So I'll tease it. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but we have a we have a big-time college coach going to join us to talk, talk about some of his top players. All right, Buck, let's get into these two Monday night games last night. I don't know how much you got a chance to see these things, but we had the, the Dalvin Cook show. Actually, maybe the Sam Bradford show with what Minnesota did against the Saints. And then we had a very uh, close a comeback attempt by the Los Angeles Chargers. Came up just a little bit short uh, there against the Denver Broncos. So let's start there. Viking Saints, what was your, your takeaway there? Biggest takeaway, um, Sam Bradford is very, very comfortable in this offense. He has his offensive coordinator that he had from his rookie year, Pat Shermer. Um, you saw a guy that was very decisive. He was very accurate, did a great job of getting the ball to his playmakers. The ball came out. They excelled on catch and run plays. It really allowed that offensive line to play well because Sam did not take a lot of time to get the ball out of his hands. And then when you factor in Dalvin Cook, who we both have talked about being an explosive player, a guy that can do it not only as a runner but as a receiver, you see this Minnesota Vikings offense look a lot different than it did in previous incarnations. I believe this team – is a surprise sleeper team to keep an eye on in the NFC because we knew their defense was outstanding. But with this offense looking like it looked in week one, they might have one of those complete teams that can make a surprising run. 
And I'll tell you what, when I watched the, the cut-up, a couple cut-ups this morning from this game, watching those Dalvin Cook carries, offensive line did a nice job. I, I got to give a, a hat tip and a little shout-out here to the tight end because what they were able to do on the edge. Yeah, Kyle Rudolph. Kyle and, Rudolph yeah. able to seal the edge and give a huge alley to Dalvin Cook. And even on the backside, their offensive line did a nice job reaching those linebackers from the Saints. They uh, they had a tough time at the second level of that Saints defense. They get got reached repeatedly. Um, it is uh, it's still it's still an issue for them on the defensive side of the ball. They haven't figured everything out there. They've got some work to do. Craig Robertson got reached a couple times there at linebacker. So they're going to have some challenges defensively. Hats off to Sam Bradford, who is efficient and accurate. He had a couple drops mixed in there as well. So he was darn near perfect with what he did. And then I think you go to the other side. I think we got to mention. I mean, we talk about age at the running back position. Frank Gore is a unicorn. Uh, yes. There are very few guys that can play as well as Frank has late into their careers. And Adrian Peterson, we saw signs of this even before he broke down in Minnesota that he's 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 lost a little bit there. I think it's 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 obvious if you're watching. Yeah, I think I think it's obvious. I I think the big thing about the running backs and the rookie running backs in particular, really excited about the guys that we have. If you look at the top rushes, we see the young guys that have come right off the college field to the pro game and having success. We saw Tariq Cohen have a big game, Kareem Hunt having a big game, Dalvin Cook. Some of the other young guys have been able to step right in and play. And when we talked about kind of the decline or the devaluation of the running back position as it related to the draft, I've always been a believer that it was really more so the talent we're now seeing in a 2017 class and even in this class that is about to come in 2018, the running back position is back and it's back in a way that they can be used in a pass-first league because these guys are versatile and dynamic and do a bunch of different things. Well, Young is young is in, right? Last year, leading rusher in the NFL, Ezekiel Elliott, was a rookie. Second leading rusher, rookie Jordan Howard, was a rookie. So we go after one week, Kareem Hunt leading the league in rushing. Dalvin Cook second in the league in rushing. Rookies 1-2. And then look at who's down there at number five, Leonard Fournette. So the rookies, this is a young man's game when you're talking about the backfield, Buck. But that gets me to my next point is now we got to flip it and say, okay, Let's go to some of the older fellows and how it went for them week one, and let's just focus on the quarterback position. I had, I had our, our research department led by Bill Smith. They pulled this up for me. Uh, I wanted to look at the numbers of the quarterbacks 35-plus. Okay, we've got these guys. we got some guys that have been great players in the league for a very long time, getting a little long in the tooth. That's Drew Brees, Carson Palmer, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, and Josh McCown. So you got seven guys there. Their numbers for the week, Buck, seven touchdowns, eight picks. I mean, seven quarterbacks with seven touchdowns, and keep in mind, three of them were from Phillip Rivers. This was a, a solid day for Phillip Rivers. It wasn't his bad. No, it, it, it wasn't his bad. And, and actually, when you, you look at this list, I'm looking at the passer ratings. Phillip Rivers was 99.6. Ben Roethlisberger was right at 95. Drew Brees was at 104. The issue that we're having, and I believe the league is at a crossroads when it comes to the quarterback position, you can't play these guys forever. You have to find a way to incorporate and bring in new guys. You have to have a backup plan in place, a succession plan for all of these teams. And unless offensive coordinators are more willing to be a little more creative and open-minded about how they use quarterbacks and young quarterbacks in particular, you're going to struggle because you can't keep relying on these old guys to kind of steady the fort as the franchise quarterback. You have to be ready to move on, and you have to find a way to bridge it when you have these young quarterbacks, 2018 and beyond, that are going to enter the league. Yeah, no, look, it's uh, it's interesting. And some of those numbers obviously skewed because Carson Palmer had the three interceptions. Josh McCown, no touchdowns, two picks. 
those are the two that really, really struggled among this group. But Eli Manning, no touchdown passes. Tom Brady, no touchdown passes. Breeze with only one touchdown pass. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, Eli Manning, you know, to me that was a little bit to do with what we talked about on the Sunday night episode, talking about Odell Beckham not being there. I think you definitely have to factor that in. All right, Buck, the second Monday night game, you had the Chargers going to take on the Denver Broncos. And uh, give me your early takeaway on that one. Early takeaway is Trevor Simeon is the right guy to be the quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And the reason he's the right guy is he just does a good enough job of taking care of what he needs to take care of to give his team the best opportunity to win. We saw him make a couple plays with his arm. We saw him really showcase some athleticism that maybe some had overlooked. I just thought he was a very efficient playmaker for an offense that is really leaning on the defense to create opportunities. But he does have two solid players on the outside in Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Those guys make enough plays on their own, on catch-and-run plays, uh, winning some 50-50 balls to give them a chance. And he just is a better decision-maker than Paxton Lynch, which is why Trevor Simeon should have been the starting quarterback and why I think he'd be the starting quarterback in Denver for a long time. Yeah, he did a nice job. And and watching that game, the thing that stood out to me was his toughness. I think that's underrated. When you talk about quarterbacks, we always talk about accuracy, touch, poise, um, playmaking ability toughness man he he hung in there against a defensive front that's as good as any in the league they they were the truth melvin ingram was in the backfield constantly bosa was active legit kind of looked like he's interested again he was outstanding getting some pressure so there was a lot of heat on him buck not eyes never dropped hung in there and delivered the football i think toughness man sometimes we need, we don't give enough credit for these guys for how tough some of them are well i think that that is a a prerequisite they have to be tough enough to kind of stand in there a mix to fire a mix all the chaos of the pocket and be able to confidently and accurately deliver the ball and we saw trevor Simeon be able to do that i want to flip it to the other side the san diego Chargers defense i san diego the la chargers the L.A. Chargers defense is absolutely going to be a top-ten defense by the end of the season. When you look at the way that they're able to generate pressure, after uh, they sputtered a little bit in the first half, they kind of found their way uh, the later stages of the second half. You saw Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram start getting after the quarterback. We saw the coverage tighten up. If I'm a Chargers fan, I'm not discouraged. I'm actually encouraged by the way that they played. I think this is a team that is going to vie for a playoff Birth and I see I can see them winning ten games on the strength of their defense and Philip Rivers playing the way he's always played. And to, and to plug uh, DJ's Instagram page did a great job at Move the Sticks uh, breaking down how there was pressure up the middle, and he's obviously seeing that coming and he's able to look it down and, and, and make an accurate throw. Yeah, don't drop your eyes. That's easier said than done. Um, to me, the Chargers couple takeaways. Philip Rivers played well. Keenan Allen had a couple drop balls, kind of knocking some of that rust off. And then with the defense of the Chargers, the front was outstanding. And I thought on the outside they were in position. I mean, look, you give Demarius Thomas credit. He made some contested catches on Casey Hayward. But this is the issue to me when I watch the Chargers. Two things. Number one, they really missed Denzel Perryman, not having him there. Yes. And there's a drop-off at the position. And Hayes Pollard, who they have in there at linebacker, got targeted. He got targeted in the passing game repeatedly by the Denver Broncos. The the ball tends to find you when you're you're out (laughs) there and you're, you're a backup. Uh, stepping in, the ball does find you. So he had some issues. And then, and this is probably a broader issue around the league, Bucky. I'd love to get your take on this. But to me, watching these games this week, especially in the secondary, and it's a byproduct of the limited amount of contact we have, the tackling this week, not good. 
The secondary no. for the Chargers especially. Missed tackles killed them. Yeah, missed tackles killed them. We saw a play where it was third, maybe 15. They threw a, a ball out to the right to Emmanuel Sanders. He weaves all the way across the field and is able to get the first down. Yeah, I mean, there, there are always going to be complaints about the tackling. You don't have enough opportunities to tackle in practice. But I can't necessarily put it on like the way the CBA has changed it. Uh, there are ways around it. There, there, there are ways to tackle without having pads on. We've seen college teams, pro teams, high school teams do it. I think the big thing is understanding that the speed of the game changes. From preseason tempo and uh, intensity to regular season, it's a much faster game. Guys have to be able to kind of dial in their angles. I think in weeks two and three and four, we'll see people kind of get it corrected. We'll see better football down the stretch. But I've really been impressed by the defensive football that we've seen throughout the the first week. We saw teams kind of go back to a formula of really playing good defense, leaning on the running game, and finding a way to win games. I think that's going to be the formula unless you have a marquee franchise quarterback you're going to have to lean on the auxiliary pieces to find a way to win games as a team. One thing, just looking at some numbers from this last week. All right, uh, see if you can find the common theme here, what these guys all have in common. This is this is uh, based off – this is just passing yards, I guess, is how this is sorted here. Most passing yards week one. Alex Smith, Sam Bradford, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Matt Stafford. Those are your top seven. Can you think of what they have in common? I don't know. How did they get the ball out of their hands pretty quickly? I don't know. Over. Alex Smith was the what pick of the draft? Oh, oh. talk about all of those guys are number one picks? Alex Smith was number one pick. Sam Bradford? Number one. Uh, Matt Ryan was what, number three? Three. Aaron Rodgers was a first-round pick, still first-rounder. Yes. Carson Wentz? Two, overall. Jared Goff? Number one. Matthew Stafford? Number one. So you either take one. So really high. I mean, it's just it was really good. It's just one week. It's just one week. I just thought it's interesting. No, but I, th- I but I think that's the thing. As much as we like to kind of hang on the novelty, like oh, I'm gonna find the guy late. I'm gonna surround it. Like the, more times than not, you have to invest a top pick in a quarterback, and typically that top pick has to come in the top five. And so we can. Uh, Russell Wilson's don't come about, around every day. No, I mean it, it's just uncommon that those guys. But the thing that goes with Russell Wilson, uh, there was. You know, you worried about the size. He wasn't like the prototypical guy. Same thing with Dak Prescott. You couldn't figure out, was he really worthy of being a number one? He probably should have been a a second-round pick. If we go back and look, he also had an incident that affected his draft status. He probably would have been pegged for the second round, maybe the third round at the worst if he doesn't have the incident that kind of clouded his status. But the quarterback, we could talk about the importance of the quarterback. Regardless of what the quarterback is, you're going to have to drop a high pick in them, and you're hoping that the talent matches. I think with all of those guys, they all have um, premier skills. They have the talent to be that. But I also think the common denominator with those guys, you have offensive coordinators who have found a way to find what they do well, and they just repeat it just like over and over and over again and allowed them to have success. The other thing, too, is if you have enough ability to go high in the draft, number one overall pick or you're, you're even a first-round pick, th- there's something in there. So you got to be patient with it. Alex Smith, yes. right? We're seeing it kind of all come together for him. Later stages. Later stages. Sam Bradford, okay, we didn't know how that was going to work out. Didn't have a great offensive line with the Rams for all those years. In Philadelphia, briefly. Um, now he's got the play caller he's familiar with in Shermer. He's got a group around him that fits, and he's kind of come into his own. Jared Goff, everybody wanted to punt on him. You know, we'll see how he ends up being, but obviously but year two is much better than year one. And I, and I think it's fine, and I think that is the thing. Um, it, it is about trying to identify who you want that quarterback to be and then it really being all in on making sure that you have 
the right coaching, the right support staff to give him everything he needs. I tell you, the Jerry Goff thing to me is remarkable. I was a big Jerry Goff fan. To me, he reminded me of Matt Ryan in terms of the way that he played at Cal. We're now seeing with Sean McVay, a guy who is an offensive innovator, a guy who is willing to kind of blend in some things and kind of cater to his strengths. Jerry Goff looks like a number one pick. He looked like a number one pick. And I know we can say, oh, we can dismiss the Indianapolis Colts. But I don't think anyone expected Jerry Goff to look like that. But you, having been close to the team and seeing some of those things, you said, look, they've surrounded him with enough weapons where now the order's in place at wide receiver. They gave him some tight ends. They beefed up the offensive line. He's going to be a different player, and I believe he certainly has played like that. That's what I was about to say. There's a common theme with – the weapons building up around those quarterbacks too. They've they've, they've given Alex Smith some weapons now with with Hill and 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 same thing with with Goff. Yeah, I mean there has to be a plan in place. I, I I think there has to be a plan in place to get these quarterbacks up to snuff. And when you look at Alex Smith and Andy Reid and what they're doing, they're basically running a lot of the things that he did in college. That's why he's comfortable with Jerry Goff. Even though they're running a West Coast offense, a lot of those same principles and concepts were things that he did in the Bear Raid um, at Cal. I believe when you take the quarterback, you almost have to take the playbook that he played in and use some of that, especially early, until he's able to get comfortable doing more advanced concepts. One of the fun things I got to do, Buck, is go back and look at the million sacks the Jags had against the Houston Texans. And so it it was interesting to break that down. A couple of them are on Tom Savage holding the ball, and they're on him, no question. Other times, these are just clean clean wins on the outside. Calais Campbell was everything as advertised. But the funny thing, his four sacks were probably nondescript, non-spectacular. They just kind of – he just kind of – bulldozes, runs over people. Uh, there wasn't any flat, like, first-step quickness or burst off the edge. He just kind of – A lot of swim, a lot of swim stuff. Just kind of rolled over those guys moves. and got it. You know, One of the things I want you to do, Buck, because – It's a th- big dude to pull off a swim move a bunch of times, too. Like, you're, you're leaving yourself exposed. You better, <laughs> yeah, you you better be, be a monster. This is what Trevor Price did forever when he had his success. But uh, a lot of people at Coach D-Line play don't want guys no, swimming in no, there. No, not at all. Keep low and rip and uh, – and, and get to the quarterback. But one of the things I want you to do, Buck, go back and look at Yannick Ngakwe's sacks, his two sacks, because it, it's a move. I need to talk to some offensive line coach buddies around the league because I, I'm coming back. It's a Euro step. It is an absolute oh, Euro step. Oh, the little hesitation. So it's, it's, a, it's one step outside, it's one step inside, and then he jumps back around to the edge. And he does it. He's He almost kind of – it's almost like he's – it's like a jump cut where he's up in the air as he's kind of moving around the edge. But it's he's got it. I mean, he did the exact same move twice and got home. You know, I, I think the thing about pass rushing, it's an art form. It's an art form. And we heard about Von Miller having that um, pass rushing camp at Stanford and all those guys getting together and talking about the moves and having those things. Look, you have to have a go-to move and you have to have a counter. You, you have to be great with that go-to move. And what we're seeing is guys have that. When you look at Von Miller, it's all about his first step quickness and burst. He has great anticipation, cat-like instincts and reflexes off the ball. He kind of dips and rips around it. Uh, when we did the exo tape on Pierre Paul, yeah. his athleticism, his ability to be able to inside jump inside. Inside counters are nasty. Um, when you look at Khalil Mack, Khalil Mack does a long-arm stab where he takes his inside arm and puts it right in the chest and attacks the middle of the offensive tackle and just kind of ramrods him back into the quarterback. That's a mean Everybody man. <laughs> has a go-to move, and the great ones develop multiple counters that go off of that. But Yana Ngakwe's little hesitation, that Euro step, that hezzy, as they say in basketball, <laughs> he absolutely has in his space. All right, one more thing here on this last week. A couple more things, actually, but this one more point. So I mentioned the quarterbacks and what they have in common. 
now talk about you have to pay. We talk about in draft capital, you got to pay a premium to get those quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. That's where they are. It's, it, we've had we have some success stories later on, but your better your odds are better if you get one early. One week again, just one week. Leaders in receptions, Bucky. Tell me what they have in common. I haven't seen it. Who All right, got? here we, we go. Got? What here we got? got? Antonio Brown, mm. Golden Tate, Randall Cobb, Adam Thielen, Shane Vereen, Tariq Cohen, Zach Ertz, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill. Outside not, the first round. Not one first rounder in the bunch. Outside the first round. And you look, there's people believe you can. I can, hold up. Oh, there's a receiver. I just found one underneath the table. There, you can find him anywhere. You can you can find him anywhere. I, I I think the big thing with those guys, yep, you want to look and see who are they playing with. But when you look at the premier guys, the guys that kind of anchor the passing attack, well, you know what? Antonio Brown was a six-round pick, so I can't even I can't even really say that. There's but the Julio Jordy, Jones, Jordy Nelson's right down there, sec, second-round pick. Um, yeah, that's it. They're, I mean, but there there are a ton of teams that believe in Green Bay. They don't believe in expending Take the first the round pick. Round. Take them in the second or third round. That's kind of the sweet spot where you can find those guys. Um, you have always kind of stuck to in the draft that they're like three or four positions that are worthy of being taken in the first round. Yep. Uh, typically quarterbacks, pass rushers, corners. You had another one that you talked about. Uh, quarterbacks, pass rushers, corners, tackles. I still tackles. think tackles. You, those those yeah. are the four marquee positions. When we talk about wide receivers, I think it would be interesting to look at the end of the year if that changes. I still believe that those core positions now, because it's such a passing game, it's your inside pass rusher, your outside pass rusher, your cornerback, and then on offense, it is now becoming a quarterback wide receiver league. Whether you invest in the first round, you need to make sure that you have a dominant guy in the passing game on the outside that can do something to help your quarterback. And no question, look, if you've got a, a stud running back or a stud receiver, they they're worth a first round pick. You're going to get a home run. Yep. Absolutely not saying you shouldn't do it. But I, and again, some of these guys that we have in this reception list, we got a couple of running backs, got a tight end in there, so it's not just wide receivers. But just interesting. I mean, just how the ball playmakers. Is. You have to have playmakers. You have to have enough playmakers. I think what Buffalo was able to pull off with uh, Shady McCoy, mm-hmm. Shady McCoy, and I know it's the Jets, and we can talk about the Jets at nauseum. But Shady McCord was the most important player there. He's probably their MVP of their offense, and they do a lot of different things to put him in a position to uh, make splash plays, and that's what you have to do. All right, let's uh, last thing here before we jump into some college. It's, uh, it's time for our O-line of the week presented by the Ford F-Series, and this is something our good buddy Sean O'Hara is doing. Uh, all you do is go to NFL.com slash Ford. You can check out uh, the built Ford Tough O-line of the week, something that Sean's been working on. And, Actually, just texted him and to find out who he did this week or which which offensive line he chose, and we actually came up with the exact same one. So we're on the same page here. What offensive line was the most impressive week, week one? I think without question, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I think I think it's Kansas City Chiefs because they were able to really dominate the line of scrimmage, and when you you put together the offense that they basically put together, which is really a modernized version of the spread that has been tailored to NFL standards their offensive line has to be able to move and stay on people, get to the second level to allow Tyreek Hill and some of their other guys, Kareem Hunt, to really make plays at the second level. Their offensive line really controlled the game, kept Alex Smith clean and comfortable in the pocket, and they were able to really establish the run. That is what you're looking from for from an offensive line. That's what the Kansas City Chiefs O-line was able to do. And they've got their hands full this week because they're going to go up against what we believe is one of the best defensive fronts Absolutely. in the NFL, Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles. So we're actually going to have one of our preview videos this week, which is going to highlight the matchup here between this running attack and, and everything that you get from Kareem Hunt and how that's going to stack up against an Eagles defensive line. We know what they can do, but the Eagles linebackers, when we look at them and break them down, Bucky, 
they can all run and they can all cover. So some of the success that they had to the backs out of the backfield in Kansas City will be a little bit more difficult against this group of linebackers in Philly. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's going to be tougher. I like the Eagles. I, I, I like this matchup. This is a very compelling matchup because what I want to see from the Eagles, I want to see how Carson Wentz plays against that front seven from the Kansas City Chiefs. How does he handle the pressure? And – can that upgraded wide receiver core, can they get open against Marcus Peters and company? One of the plays we're breaking down, too, in our preview of VODs uh, was kind of the sealer uh, last week on Thursday against the Pats, and they went student body left. And getting Kareem Hunt with all those big bodies from that offensive line on the edge, that's going to be nasty to see and see how Philadelphia attacks that. No, it's going to be fun to watch. Eric Fisher had a pancake block on that one. We'll highlight that in the video. I think Kelsey but had a sweet, sweet block in there, too. Did a nice job. Um, the, uh, the college stuff. Bucky, you're going to think I'm stalling because I keep saying one more thing. My picks were so bad, I'm going to stay on the NFL <laughs> for one more one more thing here. Um, I had our research do one other thing. This is a fun project I want to kind of keep track of throughout the year. I won't, I won't mention it every week on the pod, but just something to sprinkle in every now and then. Terrell Davis, our our good buddy, goes into the Hall of Fame. And what's the uh, what's the video we always show with TD? He, he makes a big-time tackle on a kickoff in the preseason. In, in his rookie year. In his rookie year. It was a, a draft pick, lower draft pick. A lot of these guys, I remember James Harrison, I've talked about it plenty of times, was a dominant special teams player before he evolved into being a dominant defensive player. A lot of times success early on on special teams, we see these guys end up being stars later on in their careers. So had the research staff, who, what rookie had the most tackles on special teams week one? Your winner is Samson Ebukam from the Rams, from, from uh, Eastern Washington, teammates there with, with Cooper Cup in college now in the pros, had two special teams tackles. And Trey Edmonds, a tight end, backup tight end, undrafted free agent uh, for the Saints, also had two tackles. So I just want to give those guys a little love. Yeah, give them a little love because, uh, for one, the rookies, a lot of these guys have never played teams before. So they're trying to figure it out because they were starters at their respective schools. They were star players. They were guys that didn't necessarily have to be contributors on the kicking game. And they have to learn how to do it on the fly. So you'll see a bunch of rookie mistakes. You'll see some special teams gaps early just because of the inexperience that you see. But when you talk about special teams being a ticket or a gateway to stardom, it's absolutely a gateway because it buys you time. Because if you're a good special teams player, it ensures that you're always able to get a jersey on Sundays. And the more opportunities that you get, you're one, maybe two plays away from being on the field. It gives you an opportunity to kind of keep the dream alive. And then when you get on the field, you have to make those plays. And so I'm a big believer that special team standouts can eventually become prominent big-time players. All right, let's go through this quick, Buck, because I don't, this is ugly for me. It was good for you. I should I should give you your love here. Got a tip, the tip of the cap. Uh, you were, I believe, in last place last week in our college picks, and you've turned it around in a mighty way, and you did it by going against your alma mater, which I still don't – I don't know how you sleep at night, but – <laughs> you had you had an eight and three week on your picks last week. Sully and Kent seven and four, very respectable. And I made a very short journey from first place to last place with a dreadful five and six week. Uh, tip of the cap, nice work. I appreciate that. I, th I think the big game is I was the lone wolf on the Oklahoma Ohio State game. Baker Mayfield planted his flag in the middle of the O, which I don't know why he necessarily had to apologize for that. I mean. Who cares? Who cares? Who really cares? I was asked about it, so I wrote a little something about, you know, how will NFL scouts perceive it. And, and Buck, we, we both know there's some old curmudgeon scouts that will have an issue with it, but nine times out of ten, anybody in a draft room is going to say, who cares? He's no. passionate and enthusiastic. Watch Tom Brady come out of the tunnel. Watch Phillip Rivers and his enthusiasm. You see a little bit. Screaming. I, I'm good. You see a little bit. I, I, I think the big thing is to talk about Baker Mayfield's performance. Uh, he did a really good job of extending plays, 
buying time, giving his guys opportunity. I think the bigger stat that came out, maybe 270 yards after catch. Oh, yeah. Get the ball out of your hands and let them go. Allow those playmakers to work. Like, that is a big stat for a guy that, you know, and that's, upper that's 300 a game. And that's lost D.D. Westbrook. So, you know, they, they have some weapons. No, nah, but that's a good job. But that's also a quarterback quarterback identifying how to play the position as a pass-first point guard. I got dudes on the outside. Let those dudes do the work for me. I can take a three-yard pass and allow it to go. That's what the great ones do. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, they allow their other players to make it work And on the them. flip side, J.T. Barrett. No that, bueno. No bueno. If you, if you swap those te- that those two quarterbacks with those teams, does Ohio State pull that off? It's um, got to be close. Well, I mean, I, I, I would go I with whatever so. team Baker Mayfield Baker, was quarterbacking yeah. would have won that game. Yep. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think the big thing with J.T. Barrett, I know there's – They've been screams and calls for someone to replace him. I don't know who they have behind him. But also, when he was at his best, it was never as a passer. It was his ability to run the zone read. I would say that they've gone away from that a little bit. He needs to run it like 15 to 20 times. I mean, if you're going to play him, you need to play him uh, to his strengths. He needs to run the ball more. Um, I don't know if, if – I know. Actually, I know the rules. I know we're not allowed to do this, but I want to play this so bad. I could, I could play it. I'll get in trouble, won't I? Yeah. you get in trouble. What are you trying to play? When I watch JT Barrett, you know the song that goes in my head, Buck? Oh, boy. Oh. It's from Disney's Frozen. <laughs> oh, God. Want to build a snowman? It's not want to build a snowman, <laughs> but I appreciate it's, I appreciate that jam. It's solid. Yeah, solid jam. Uh, I'm going to go let it go. Let it Because go. I'm watching him just going, let it go. Let Throw it. it. <laughs> let it go. What are you doing? Throw the ball. Let it go. Take your shot. He wants to see it. Like I, I think. Let that's it fly, man. That's the difference between uh, let it go, let it go, can't hold the ball anymore, <laughs> let it go. Oh when I woke up today, I did not know we were singing Frozen on the pot. Oh, I yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, That's unbelievable. <laughs> no, I mean, I think the big thing that separates good quarterbacks from great quarterbacks, great quarterbacks understand how to throw a timing and anticipation. He doesn't have the anticipation that you want from an upper echelon quarterback. He has to see that his guys are wide open for letting it go. He doesn't throw those guys into open windows, which is why it's tougher when you're playing against elite defenses for him to string together a number of completions. The pressure never bothered me anyway. Oh, I can wow, do the whole DJ. song. That is nice. I got kids, man. Don't act like you haven't seen that movie, Buck. <laughs> I have seen it, but I have not remembered the, any of the songs. Yeah. What, from now on, here's your challenge. Sully, he's not going to. I know Bucky. He's not. This is your challenge. Good. Bring it. This week, a college football game. I need you to take in something from the college football Saturday, and I need you to come up with a Disney song that, that goes with it. This is the easiest assignment you've ever given Thank me. you. I'm, I'm not even just going to limit it to animation. If you want to go high school musical, by okay. golly, you go high school musical. Uh, I'm thinking I'm – Get thinking, your head in the game. We can go anywhere on this thing. I'm thinking something is going to come out of that Tennessee-Florida game that's going to make me oh, sing some yeah. sort of something. Now we're talking. Yeah. yeah. All right, so that's your challenge. Uh, Buck. Well done, well done on the college football <laughs> week. We got some huge games coming up this week. Are we? We're going to preview those on Thursdays. We'll pre- pod, right? We'll preview those on Thursday on our video show. So uh, I don't have to make my crappy picks yet. Not yet. That, that's Thursday. I'll tell you. You what, have time to think. What we do? Do we have a? Is our special guest here? We're ready to rock. Let's get it. Oh yeah! I mentioned we had a championship winning college football coach that was going to join us on the pod today. We're lucky to have. Uh, Head coach Jimbo Fisher from Florida State joining us here. We're going to have some coaches on to talk about some of the top players in college football throughout the fall. Coach, you got a good one there in Derwin James. Uh, we've become big fans here watching his tape and getting to see him early on in his career there. How, how early in the recruiting process did you know you had something special with Derwin? 
I, I thought pretty early we really did have something because uh, you just his natural instincts to play. You know, he's such a hungry guy. He was very humble, and he never got caught up in the recruiting part. He just kept getting better and better, and you could just see it on film. With a guy like Derwin James, I mean, how much of a challenge is it for you because of his versatility, just finding out exactly how you wanted to deploy him on your football team when he got on campus? We want to just say we're competing one position. Let him get that down and then started, you know, working away. And what we didn't know at the time, which is amazing about him, was his intelligence level and ability to learn and process information. You know, Coach, in thinking about that safety position and how it's evolved to one of the more important positions on defense, his ability to come down and bliss off the edge, to play in the deep middle, to play tight ends, how rare is it to find someone that can do those things? It's extremely rare. I mean, because the guys that are athletic enough aren't big enough, and the guys that are big enough aren't athletic enough. And then the ones that have everything, you're talking about intelligence level that's, you know, one of the greatest I've ever been around. So when you put those packages together to do all those things, they're very hard to find. How much does he love practice, Coach? Oh, if there's a ball on the field, he loves to play. I don't care where it is, what it is, if he's in pads or whatever he's doing. He loves flat play. You know, Coach, he was a big-time player on the offensive side of the ball, and I've seen him, you know, kind of flirt with being a kick returner and doing some of those things. Have you ever been tempted to really utilize him uh, extensively on the offensive side of the ball? Well, we thought about it, but then, you know, last year he got hurt, and then getting him back this year, I don't want to put that pressure on him, but there have been some things that we have, and we he worked on it on the summer for situations that we wanted to do it. Coach, how about from a leadership standpoint, uh, where is he at in that development? Really high, and, and this is where a crazy thing comes in, into play. Last year being hurt, when he got to stand back and see things through a coach's eyes, I think it's enhanced him as a player ten times, as, you know, he's tenfold for being a leader. You know, and it's really let him see how all the little things matter and how, you know, that coaches don't just pick. And, and, and he, he, re, he reiterates that to his players so much. You know, and, and looking at his game, because he's so dynamic, he's been terrific. Um, what is the one thing that you would say that he could work on to really take his game to the next level? You know, maybe just pure man-to-man cover skills. But because he does so much, but then when he locks in and does it, he does it. I, I thought that, but then going to camp, that's the thing I want him to do. But he's gotten so much better at that. He tackles well. He, and this, he plays the ball in the deep part of the field so well. He blisses. And, I mean, I just keep enhancing his knowledge of the game and Coach. understanding, I think, he, don't rely on your athleticism. Rely on your mind to make yourself even that much quicker because I think it's what he's learning to do. And then you're having a guy who's going to be almost impossible to block. Coach, what's, what's the secret sauce down there at Florida State in terms of the number of guys you guys have been churning out lately? I know you a lot of teams go out there and recruit these these highly rated players, but in the yeah. development process and the way, the mentality you've been able to instill in these guys, you know, what, what's one of those keys maybe we don't realize from the outside of, of why Florida State has been churning out so many great NFL players? Well, two things. We run a pro system on offense and defense. So the multiplicity of having to think and, and, and understanding the game of football, you have to understand it. And I think, too, and I know this sounds crazy, we are a very physical practicing team. We do good on good during the week, weeks after. And the competition level about the guy across the ball from you makes it so much more easier to develop because you, if you come out there and not ready to practice, somebody will embarrass you. You know, Coach, in thinking about the competition, you guys have so many five-star talented guys that are pro prospects. Tavares McFadden is an outstanding corner, maybe the best corner in the game. What do you see when you see him every day in practice? What do you like about his game? First of all, he has tremendous ball skills and length. He can uh, extend those arms, even when he gets out of position, the hands can get and make it. 
he judges the ball so well for a big guy and gets his body in position to make plays on the ball. And once he's learned now not to always look for the interception and play through the guy and then turn, like he learned after the first couple games last year, he plays great. And then the physicality, he's tackling very well. Now, you see, people didn't realize he had a shoulder that he had fixed in the offseason with a labrum. And now he's back to being physical and tackling. So you can play boundary corner, you can blitz him, you can play him in a trap look. And he's really become an all-around player. Coach, going down there and getting a chance to watch you guys practice, i got to see a lot of great players. When you, you look at Auden Tate and what he's doing, you got a very talented defensive tackle. Bucky talked about McFadden. We've talked about Derwin James. I want to be selfish here because when I was down there, I didn't get a chance to see Matt Thomas, your linebacker. But I, I, I turn on the tape against Alabama, I see him flying around. Can you tell us a little bit about your talented linebacker there? I mean, that is the guy I can run. You think the last three games against Michigan, Florida, and Alabama, he's had 15 or 12, 15, and 10 tackles and let it. And he's really understanding how to play inside backer now because I missed some time before. His key, his triggers, and you're talking about another guy athletically. When Derwin runs and jumps and does all the things he does, Matthew's right beside him in a six foot four body and 230 pounds. And he can cover in space and he can play in the box. He can play on the edge. I mean, he, he's got a chance to be a really special player. Well, Coach, it's uh, it, it, no season was, is without adversity. You guys, you, you're down a quarterback, and you got a couple games that you you got to you got to miss here before you guys get back out on the field. But we just want you to know here at, at the NFL that our thoughts and prayers with everybody down there in Florida that's been been battling this this hurricane, and uh, we wish you guys the best of luck with the rest of your season. Thank you guys very much. All right, Bucky, it was really nice of, of Coach Fisher to spend some time talking to us, uh, mainly about Derwin James. There. That's what we're trying to do. We, we've got these features. We've talked about it previously. We've done one, NFL.com. There's been one on Josh Allen. We've seen one on Nick Chubb. This week it's on Derwin James. So that's why we brought Coach on here to talk to him about Derwin James' talented safety. You can go to NFL.com slash Derwin James, I believe, when this is, is posted. You'll be able to check out a feature, another one from Chase Goodbread. You know, I, I, I think the big thing about this, is it really takes you behind the scenes of what a scout would do because this would be part of our process. Part of our process would be to go and evaluate Derwin, Derwin James and watch him on tape, watch him on the field in practice, talk to a pro liaison. But if you can get a couple – valuable minutes with a head coach to really give you some insight and perspective on how the guy is. It really helps you a lot. This was invaluable. It will be invaluable to us as we continue to go down the process of evaluating Dermot James, some of the other guys. And then for those that are listening going, hey, you guys didn't talk about the, the weather, the postponement of the Miami game and all that. Look, that's not that's for the college football crowd. We try and keep everything we're talking about college football-wise. We like to have a little bit of a bent towards the draft and, and focusing on players and and coach has got a lot to deal with down there, and, and again, our thoughts and prayers with everybody down there in Florida that's been dealing with the after effects of this this terrible hurricane. Uh, but it was nice of him to give us a little bit of time and uh, and tell us about a very talented player that we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about here in the spring. Uh, all right, Buck, I think that's going to do it for us, man. Fun one today. Yeah, it was a fun one. I mean, we got great guests, uh, Jimbo Fisher. Got a chance to talk about one of my favorite guys in Derwin James. Or how can you beat that? Now, good times. Again, thanks, everybody, for, for downloading, subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't already, please do us a solid and go leave us a little uh, a comment, uh, a little rating there on iTunes. We are, we are growing. We've got three pods a week now. We're cruising. We're finding a nice groove here in the regular season. NFL's cranking. College football's cranking. And hopefully we can give you something good three times a week here on Move the Sticks, presented by the Ford F-Series. Again, thank you guys so much, and we'll see you just in a couple days. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.